powerful worship service that we're in this morning and I appreciate everybody who's involved. Remember our kids down in Life Kids as they are learning that the church is a great place to be, that God is good and that God wants to touch their lives as well. We begin a series today, I'm pretty excited about it, it's called So Help Me God. It's out of the book of Romans and actually over the next year or the next 10 months, we're going to be preaching out of the book of Romans. We're going to have four different series that will come out of the book of Romans, but it, they will not be sequential. We'll have some things, some series that we will do in between. So we will uh, preach on this for three or four weeks, and then we'll bring in another series, and then uh, we will come back to the book of Romans. And by the end of the year, we will have covered the whole book. Now, let me say that we will not go verse by verse. This is not intended to be a verse by verse Bible study, but we'll hit the highlights by chapter. And we could not possibly uh, cover every little thing that's in this book and, and from Paul. And we'll get into that in, in just a moment. So today we're going to look at Romans chapter 1. And if you would turn there in your Bibles, Romans chapter 1. If you don't have a Bible with you, the, the text will be on the screen behind me. But let me just give you a little bit of history of the book of Romans, if you wouldn't mind. First of all, the Apostle Paul wrote this book in about 57 A.D. Okay, and a lot of people think that he was writing to his friends when, in fact, he had yet to meet the church in Rome at this time. He was actually writing from the city of Corinth, a Greek, uh, a city in Greece, or a Greek city, I should say. And he wanted to meet the Romans. He wanted to encourage them. The faith that they had was being talked about. And some of you may know that Paul would go on these missionary journeys. And it was on his second missionary journey that he writes this letter to the Romans. And so it's there that we pick this up in 57 AD, and Rome is experiencing some unique things. In fact, I think you will see a little bit of America in what Rome was experiencing. They were running about a million people, as near as we can tell, and there was uh, kind of class warfare that was taking place. There was a socioeconomic divide in Rome. About 20% of the people were middle class in Rome at the time. About 40% of the people were low class socioeconomically and 40% wealthy. And so it was creating this incredible divide in the city. It was taking over the communication, as you can imagine. The political scene was fiery. All the things that you can think of that would be happening uh, in America or are happening in our culture, in our discussion, as there's this divide of the haves and the have-nots, and there's this tension that's happening in America. Well, that was similar to what was happening in Rome. And it's just a few short years, actually, before Nero, their, their emperor, Nero, he, he took office. He was 16 years old, and he had an insatiable desire to build. And about seven years after Paul writes this, then Nero, it is thought, he burnt the, burned the city of Rome so, and then blamed it on the Christians so he would have someone to blame so he could rebuild. 
And at that time, people began to, to uh, persecute the Christians tremendously. And if you would read in the book of 1 Peter, you would see that Peter's talking to people who are experiencing the difficulty that was created in Rome right after Paul would have written these verses. So there's so much in this chapter. Uh, verse 1, Paul talks about, I'm a bondservant. And, and just that alone, if we chose to highlight what Paul was saying as being a bondservant of Jesus Christ, and the people would have understood what he was talking about, you know, we could preach a message on that. But we've chosen verses 16 and 17. It kind of encapsulates the theme of the entire book. So I'll read it, Romans 1, 16 and 17. For I am not ashamed of this good news about Christ. It's the power of God at work, saving everyone who believes, the Jew first and also the Gentile. This good news or gospel tells us how God makes us right in his sight. And this is accomplished from start to finish by faith. As the scriptures say, it's through faith that a righteous person has life. And I want to get started today by talking about the fact of the good news in the gospel. What this really is, some of your translations would use the word gospel, and others use the phrase good news. It's really interchangeable, because gospel means good news. It's the good news of Jesus Christ, going all the way back to the fall of man, and then God prophesying numerous times in numerous ways that he would send someone to restore relationship with man and himself, to forgive the sins of mankind. And so we have Jesus' life, or birth, I should say, from, from a virgin, and then his sinless life, then his death on the cross, his resur resurrection from the dead, and eventually his ascension into heaven. That's the good news. That's the gospel. That's what brings freedom into our lives. And it's probably the best news that any of us could ever have, that we could have right relationship with God. And if you would go back to the book of Genesis, you say, Pastor Dan, why do we need that? Well, you have in, in Genesis, Adam and Eve. Many of you know the story of Adam and Eve. If you don't, I would encourage you to read on it. But you have the story of the first man and the first woman. They couldn't eat of a certain tree in the garden that God had prepared for them. And of course, they went ahead and, and ate of that tree. And, and so God provides for them, uh, covering temporarily and he says to the serpent in the curse that he puts on uh, mankind and woman, he says to the serpent, a time will come when one comes that will crush your head with his heel. And so we start to see that from the very beginning, there's this plan. He's referring to Jesus and the children of Israel. You may remember they were delivered from Egypt by 10 plagues. And the last one being the plague of the death of the firstborn. They had to put blood on the mantle and the top of, of their doorposts and, and the blood of a perfect lamb. And as they did that and the death angel came through the city, came through Egypt, their children would be saved. Again, a type of what Jesus came here to do. 
And so we see that this is the culmination and Romans is really when we begin to see, especially as non-Jewish people, when we begin to see what God really has in store through this idea of forgiveness, good news, and the gospel. God says, let me, let me boil this down a little bit. Let's take it past, okay, that's the theology, where it comes from. How does it practically apply to your life? Let me say this. God has said to you through the gospel that although you could not, he would for you. Are you with me? Although you could not be what you needed to be, just like Adam and Eve, God did it for you through Jesus Christ. Let me take that even a step farther to my life. I was a young boy. I grew up in a Christian home, but somewhere the enemy had a place in my heart. I just, I just couldn't embrace the things of God. For some reason, I had incredible amounts of anger. I have no idea why. Just rage inside me. I was the most foul-mouthed young teenager that you've ever heard in your life, okay? I used the F word as often as I could. I was proud of it. It just, I, I loved it. You know, it was just this rebellious spirit in me. And then, of course, I was attached to people at the church, and there was this guy, Vito Onofrio Grissetta. He owned a pizzeria and worked in the mafia, okay? <laughs> That's not true. His brother did, though. But Vito just owned this pizzeria. He was a great big Italian guy. And they were taking me out to eat one night. I was 15 years old. And he turned around in his big black Lincoln Continental. And he looked at me and he kind of pointed over the seat. And he said, tonight you will accept Christ. And I'm like, it, it, seriously, in my mind, I'm like, whatever, fat man, you know. That's what was in my mind, just honesty, okay? I didn't say that to him because he would squash me, but that's what was in my mind. I had no intention of being kneeled next to his son's bed that night at about 2 o'clock in the morning, calling out, for Jesus to come into my life, forgive my sins, and make me new. In fact, I was fighting it at the restaurant. But as the night went on, I just surrendered to Christ. I got up the next day. I had a tennis tournament. I was playing a kid that I was sure to beat. He, he, uh, I had beat him several times. There was not really any competition there. And for some reason, this kid is just mopping me up. And I, I wanted to throw my racket, which was my MO, you know, throw your racket when you get mad. And I let out a few words, and I thought to myself, that's not me anymore. God, take care of my attitude here. I'm submitted and surrendered to you. I went through the whole match without getting upset. I'm, I'm being dead serious. I, I went through the whole match without getting upset. I went through the whole match without foul language coming to my mind. And I can remember being almost 16 years old when I played in that tennis tournament. And I'm hitting the ball into the net, unfortunately. And I'm saying to myself, I'm a new person. 
right? Jesus has forgiven my sin and made me a new person just before my 16th birthday. And I could even feel it that day in the park. And have you let the fact that Jesus wants to do that for you soak in and sink into your life? And if you have not yet made Jesus the Savior of your life, then what I want to say to you today is that today you will accept Christ. Today you will accept Christ. God is going to work in your heart just like he did in my heart, delivered me from that anger, changed my life. And so Paul is talking about the gospel and, and how good it is and that we shouldn't be ashamed of it. My question is this. Two questions. Have you met Christ? And also, have you found yourself ashamed of the good news when you go out around in society? Right? We, we live in a culture where you can be or identify as just about anything you'd like to be or identify as except a person with faith in Jesus Christ. Okay, that's just our culture. I'm not trying to start an argument. I'm not trying to, to uh, do anything like that. But just the reality of you can identify, you can be what you want except a person who proclaims the name of Jesus Christ. That's just kind of how it is. And so there's this tension that we have this great thing that God has done for us. I mean, it's true. I've experienced it. Yet when I go into society, they don't understand oftentimes or want what I have. Maybe you found yourself in a similar situation. Have you found yourself at times ashamed of what God has done through Jesus Christ in giving us the good news? You say, well, no, Pastor Dan, I'm really bold. I'm super bold. I have like that fish thing on the back of my car, right? <laughs> well, great. You have that fish thing on the back of your car. You should probably stop cussing out the person who just cut in front of you, you know. It's not a very good testimony of the fish thing, right? Or you wear a Christian t-shirt, you know, and I, I boldly proclaim my faith. Or you write on social media how terrible sinful people are, which, can I tell you, I would like to suggest is the exact opposite of what we should be doing. Mm -hmm. The exact opposite. Why is it that we get so bold at a computer screen or an iPhone, but when we're face-to-face, -face, it's a lot more difficult? So don't put on social media what you wouldn't be willing to talk to somebody privately about. Okay. Right? You following me? Mm -hmm. And so have you ever found yourself in this place of, of kind of being ashamed? When's the last time you shared your faith with someone? When is the last time you actually opened your mouth and started to tell someone about your faith. This is one of the things that I'm most proud of about my wife. It's certainly not her ability to paint. It would be that, <laughs> that's funny stuff, right? You should see her painting. Well, anyway, moving on. 
She shares Christ with her co-workers all of the time. I love that. She comes home and says, Dan, I was sharing with so-and-so, and I got to talk about the Lord today, and I got to pray with this person. When is the last time you opened your mouth and, and shared about what Jesus has done in your life in a meaningful way? You say, well, I wouldn't know what to say. I have two things. First of all, remember that Jesus said when you're testifying, the Holy Spirit will give you words to share. Okay, so just get started. And then if you need a practical help, I wrote this down. I've been looking at it myself. Just, just type in Google simply Jesus in the Billy Graham Evangelistic Association. They have a nice, a good three-page teaching. It's, it's big print. It's easy reading with some diagrams and, and verses of, of how to show people how Jesus is the bridge. So just look that up, simply Jesus. And look into the fact that, and, and learn some simple ways that you can share your faith. The second thing is that the gospel is God's power. Verse 16 goes on to say, it's the power of God at work. If you want to see powerful things of God, if you want to see things that will amaze you, be where the gospel is being preached, the good news is being preached to people who have never heard it. Right? Sadly, the hardest people to preach to are the ones who have heard the gospel over and over and over and over again. We're going to go home and we're going to have our hamburger. We're going to cook out. We're going to have pot roast. And our life is going to be just about the same if we don't encounter Jesus today. But if you want to see God at work in his power, go somewhere where people are reaching out for something to save their lives both physically and spiritually. They know they're lost and they're looking for something. I heard a great testimony of a friend of mine who, he was 18 years old. He was really struggling in his life. If I remember all the details correctly, there was depression. There was different types of addiction, especially alcohol. And he, he did not believe in God. And he just had, he, he was going nowhere. He was really struggling. His family dynamic was broken. One day he reached out to the Lord and he said, if you are there, and he was changed in a moment. He was delivered instantly from the addictions in his life. Delivered instantly. That's what the power of God can do. Does it always? No, sometimes it's more progressive. But that's what the power of God can do. I have with me something here that, unfortunately, I needed these about three weeks ago to start my truck on one of the coldest days of the year. You recognize these? And I may or may not have them attached to a battery at the base of my feet here. And I have a couple guys in, in this congregation that I have in mind that I would like to call forward, put one of each of these on a sensitive spot, place on their chest and and see what happens okay do I have any volunteers Tyler simple come on up 
No, you wouldn't, would you? Because you believe there's power here. You know there's power here. How is it that as believers, we have often in our lives communicated this message that is without the life-changing power of God? We feel there's more in this battery. We feel a better chance of being shocked by a battery than God dynamically changing our lives. Than God dynamically changing our marriage. We we kind of sometimes live this powerless Christian life. I want you to know if you're here today or those of you who are here today and you have not yet embraced the good news of the gospel, if you embrace Jesus with your whole heart and you just give him your life, it will jack you up. It will mess you up. It will change your life in a good way. Like it did for me. Like it did for my dad like it will do for generations to come. But if you just come to Life Church and you just do the religious thing on the weekend, it's pretty powerless. But when you surrender your life to Jesus, the power of God is at work. Paul said the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells in those who believe. Do you hear me there? The same spirit that raised Christ from the dead. The resurrection is part of the gospel. The good news. The same spirit. Imagine yourself tomorrow, Monday morning. You get out of bed and you say, you know what? The same spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells in me. I'm going to have a great day. I'm going to walk in victory. I'm going to share my faith. I'm going to be who God wants me to be because the spirit of God is alive inside me. Instead of posting on social media, I hate Mondays. How about we bring God into our Monday and we have a pretty good Monday, right? The same spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells in us, those who believe. Number three, the gospel is for everyone. He goes on to say in verse 16, saving everyone who believes, the Jew first and also the Gentile. Guys, no one is beyond the gospel. I had a family member. He's deceased now. I've known him since I was little, uh, the generation before me, and I never liked him. I mean, he's my relative, but I never liked him. In fact, I disliked him very much. I don't like anything he stands for. I don't like the way he behaves. I don't like the fact that he was a humanist to, to hardcore humanist. I don't like the fact that he didn't have any belief, belief in, in God. I don't like the fact that he mocked other people in our family that had a belief in God. I don't like any of that. So he was 82 years old my dad called me and he said, son, I think if you go talk to this family member, 
they'll commit their lives to their life to Christ. And I'm like, no, he won't. He's heard it a thousand times. He's chosen hell, okay? I'm not driving there. It's several hours for me to drive. My dad said, son, I just can't get away from this. You're supposed to go share your faith with this family member. And I said, dad, you've done it so many times. And he just has mocked it. And, and I don't even like the guy. So I got my daughter, and I took her over there. I thought, have her meet this person and um, see if I get an opportunity to share my faith. Sitting in his, in his recliner as he's only a couple weeks from death, but he's in his right mind. And I said, hey, uh, have you considered Jesus? And he said something to this effect. I've been waiting for you to get here. I'm ready to accept Jesus. I didn't even want the guy to accept Jesus. He had inflicted pain and damage. And there he accepts Christ. The gospel is for everyone. It's not just for rich white people who are all cleaned up. The gospel is for everyone. That's why we do an effort called Greater. We believe in giving to the Lord through the local church. We believe the Bible talks about giving the first fruits and the best to the Lord. We also have this thing we call greater, which is missions, which is money that goes out of here that, that helps us spread the message of Jesus Christ around the corner and around the world, both through relief efforts and overt preaching efforts and supporting missionaries and all of these things. It's why we want a building. It's why I had some meetings this week about getting a building can I tell you the, the, the purpose for a building is not so we don't have to set up. Now I'm talking this part to regular life church attenders. It's not so we don't have to set up. It's because we believe that a building, our own building, would facilitate a better opportunity to share the life-changing power of the gospel with people. I'll give to that, right? I'm not going to sacrifice nearly as much just so I don't have to set up. And sometimes I do. Sometimes I'm pushing stuff around here with, with the team. I don't get to go back and do my thing and, and prepare the way that I want to. And I'm, I'm all sweaty. My shirt's untucked. I'm like, I don't feel much like a preacher right now, okay? But it's not because of that. It's because we want an opportunity to control the environment so that we can create the greatest opportunity for people to sit there and hear the message that will change their history both now and forever. That's what it's about. I'll sacrifice. I will give to that. I love to do church with you. Can I just tell you that I love you? I've known you four months. Some of you I haven't even met yet. 
Can I tell you this? God gives supernaturally pastors a love for the people. It, I, it's, it's supernatural. I don't understand it. I'm closer to you than most of my extended family. I love doing church with you. But you know one of the interesting things about family and the family dynamic in a church is that it can cause you to lose sight of mission. Let me give you an example. How many of you on Christmas Eve or Christmas Day would say, man, I'm totally fine with having a stranger, you know, or someone I hardly know come participate in our Christmas gathering with my family? Raise your hand. Okay, a couple of you. A couple of you are okay with it. A lot of us, a lot of people are not. Because when, when it's just about us getting together, we lose our sense of mission. As much as I love you, I didn't just move here for you. I moved here for somebody who's someday going to fill that seat that doesn't even know that Jesus exists yet. Amen? What? I'm preaching better than two claps for crying out loud. You guys are dead as a doornail. Number four. I, somebody come up here. I want to shock somebody, get a little life in you. Number four, the gospel produces righteousness. The good news tells us that we are right with God in his sight. The good news proclaims the opportunity that people have to be right with God. The church should never be seen as the agent telling them they're wrong with God. They should be the agent that's encouraging them to be right with God and presenting them with the gospel. The day before I met Jesus, I had to say the F word 200 times. That was the way I rebelled against God, right? The day before, the morning of, before I met the family that I was with that night, profane language. I wasn't cleaned up. Vito didn't say to me, Dan, tonight you'll clean up your language. Tonight you will meet Christ and praise God. He has the power to take me where he wants me to go. And no one in this room is too far removed from the gospel for God to do a powerful, powerful work in your life. God is very positive. He's all about drawing you to salvation. When God draws you to salvation or draws you to be more Christ-like, he says, yeah, you've messed up. I can forgive that, but this is the plan I have for you. Get closer to me, right? Get closer to me, which is totally opposite than condemnation, which is often what we put on people. Oh, God doesn't want you to do that. God doesn't want you to do that. That's right. 
So that's when Michelle came to me and told me that she was going to have an abortion in two weeks. She said, I'm telling you because I know what you stand for and I'm asking you to pray for me. And here I'm praying for a, a young lady who's doing the opposite of what I believe God would want her to do. And I have this dichotomy that I have to, to walk in and deal in. How will I deal with Michelle as she does this thing that's totally opposite to what I believe in as I share the love of Jesus Christ with her? Come on, now that's where the rubber meets the road. And she's got to feel more of God's love through me than God's judgment through me. Once she followed through with it, I never mentioned it again. We only talked about God's love and forgiveness and what he'd come to do in her life. I eventually moved from that community, I don't know, if she eventually experienced the power of the gospel or not. Number five, the gospel connects to us by faith and we connect to it by faith, verse 17. This is accomplished from start to finish by faith. As the scriptures say, it's through faith that a righteous person has life. It's not whether we're good people or not. And let's put that baby to rest. Can I just tell you, none of us are good. Be honest with me. Be honest with yourself, right? Like if you say, I'm really good, you should be here next week because I'm talking about self-deception. <laughs> like let's be honest. pastor and I need to lead and live in Christ likeness I do my best to follow the Lord to walk in the power of his spirit but can I tell you without that that anger that God has delivered me from when I walk in the spirit of God comes out that's what's in me but the power of God through the gospel changed me and once in a while I let my flesh my humanity get the best of me never in public you'll never see me come unglued in public there are those occasions where and I, after I get upset or whatever I look in the mirror and I'm like God it's true all these years of being saved and I'm reminded that I need you you prepared my heart to come you provided what I came to the table that I came to you help me understand it and you continue to let me walk in it and help me understand it as I as I walk in faith 
but it's not because we are outperform the next guy or the next girl. It's the grace of God. So you're in this place today. There are really three groups of people I'd like to talk to, and if you would, just for a moment, close your eyes. I would just ask that every eye would be closed and just for a private moment with God and allowing other people to have a private moment as well. I wonder, are you a believer that has diminished the power of the gospel in your life? Has it had little effect in your life instead of like being supercharged? Does it have little effect? I believe God would say to you today, rekindle the power of God and the gospel, the spirit in your life. Rekindle that. Let it be rekindled. Let that flame burn powerfully in your heart metaphorically of course secondly I want to talk to people who have man you would say you're not ashamed but you just will not open your mouth and proclaim the good news and God is saying to you I want you to do this I'll give you the power I'll give you the ability I want you to do this. And the third group would be, you're here today and you have never surrendered your life to Christ. You've heard it. You've seen it in other people. You've said to yourself, I want something like that. But you've never surrendered your life to Christ. We're going to give all of you, all three of you, an opportunity where you're seated to respond. The way I want to do that, first of all, is I'd like you all to lend your voice to this, but especially those who are surrendering their life to Christ for the very first time. I'll just lead us in a prayer. If you'd lend your voice to that, and people will receive the Lord for the very first time. Others, let it be rekindled in your life. Others, let it speak to you about voicing and sharing what God has done for you. So let's just pray and you follow along with me. Father God, I believe who Jesus is. I believe he came to solve our sin problem. And I have a sin problem. I need forgiveness. I ask you to forgive me today. Make me new. Let me experience the power of God as I surrender my life to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Praise God. I believe people are in the kingdom today, now, that may not otherwise have been. So praise God. We're going to continue this series over the next few weeks, but at this time we're going to 
make a little change in our service. We'll kind of begin our close. The way I want to do that is I'd like to direct your attention to the red card that's in the cup holder near you. We call that our next steps card. I would love for you to look at that. If you made some kind of decision for Christ today, maybe it's the first time you, you asked Jesus to forgive your sins, come into your life, on the front of that next steps card, there's a place for you to mark that. We would like to help you get started in your journey of faith. It also communicates to us that something we're doing is speaking to people that need Jesus. So it's good for you because we'll be able to help you. It's good for us so that we understand and know that we're communicating well with people in a way that they know they need Jesus. And if you made some other decision for Christ today, mark it on there. Maybe there's a step you want to take that was rekindled in you today. Maybe you have not been baptized yet and you said, you know, that's really the next step that I need to take. Please mark that on the back side. There are also uh, opportunities for prayer requests to be written down. We would love for you to do that because we want to be praying for you as a staff and leaders throughout the week. So uh, do that as well. Secondly, I'd like to direct your attention very quickly to our guest card. You would also find that in the cup holder near you. That would be for those of you who are with us for the very first time. We would like to say thank you for being here, being willing to try something new. We believe that God is doing something great here. We want to say thank you for being with us. And as a sign of our appreciation and our thankfulness for you being here, if you fill that card out, take it out and place it or give it to the people at the orange tent. If you're colorblind, see me. I'll direct you there. But it's the orange tent right out in the lobby, and we'll get you a free movie ticket for uh, as, a, as a return gift if you turn that card in today. So we would love to have you do that. And finally, we're going to be receiving the giving today. So if our ushers would take their places, let me say that at Life Church we believe in obedience as it relates to giving, the giving of our best and first to God. We also believe in generosity, which is over and above our norm that goes to this place. That's how we uh, create greater. That's how we, we give. Last year as a whole, we gave over a million dollars to greater that we sent out of all of our campuses to do the work of the Lord somewhere else to let someone else see the gospel. And I believe at this time, they'll have some uh, something on the screen saying where we are this year, all of our campuses together. We this is our campus, I'm sorry. So far this year, we've given $2,480 that goes out of here and year, or in February and year to date, $4,770 that we've given that goes out of here to spread the gospel. And I'm so thankful for that. And we will be a part of the million plus dollars that are given from Life Church campuses here and in southern Wisconsin. So I think that's great. Thank you for your giving. I'm going to pray. There will be a video as we receive the giving, and then Beth will be coming to dismiss us. Father God, thank you so much for your goodness. 
poured out on us through the gospel. Thank you for the privilege of giving, God. Help us to be joyful, cheerful givers, responding to what you gave us when you extended the good news to us through Jesus Christ. We're most like you, God, when we're giving because that's when we're loving. We're, we're showing love when we give. Like, God so loved the world that you gave. Lord, we want to be giving. We want to make a difference in that way. We honor you. Bless both the gift and the giver in Jesus' name.